Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I could tell that we're about an hour behind, right? Because when I say good morning, you're like, good morning. Like, we made it. I'm here. I've got caffeine in one hand and a donut in the other. So you guys are ready to go. If you're checking us out online, hopefully you've got some caffeine and some sugar as well. I'm just glad you guys are all here to receive what the Lord has for you this morning, to be able to worship him, connect with him, and just to, man, have fellowship uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And to do it early in the morning just adds to it. it just, it's another, another gem you get to put in Jesus' crown. Amen. I'm, a early, I'm the early service person. No, I don't think that works that way. But All right. Well, hey, it's good to see you guys. Before I get into the message, uh, just in case you don't know me, uh, I'm Blake Canterbury. I'm the church uh, planter at Residence here at City on a Hill. We are planting Redemption Church in uh, Monroe, Wisconsin, about 45 minutes south of here. And uh, we, I just want to give you guys a quick update on how we're doing before we, uh, we jump into Acts chapter 12 today. So we are gearing up for a fall 2022 launch. That's our, our target area is fall. Uh, it's a really good time to, to launch a church. If you guys are sitting on Hill know all about that. That's about when you guys launched as well. And, uh, and so that's when we're looking to launch our Sunday morning services. We're already meeting every Sunday night as a core team. We've got 38 adults in our core team and we have a lot of interested people. So hopefully we'll hit that target of 50 very, very soon. Uh, I'm, I'm really encouraging people, jump on, man. It's a lot of fun. So we, we do have a lot of fun every Sunday night. We meet, we pray from five to seven at Hope Evangelical Free Church. Church in Monroe, they're gracious enough to let us use their fellowship hall, but we're growing to the point that we're going to need their sanctuary soon. A few things we're already doing, we're starting small groups. We've actually started small groups. So we're started, started a youth-focused uh, small group. We've got about anywhere from eight to 12 youth that show up every Wednesday night at our house, and uh, they eat a bunch of our food, and we talk about Jesus. We're going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, and which is super fun. Um, and then also we've, we had a group start last week that was on family discipleship. We're starting our group on Monday night with the art of parenting. And we've got two other groups that'll be starting towards the uh, beginning of April. So we want to get groups going before we launch is something that we look at because we want them to be missional as well. And our goal is about half of the people in the group to be outside of our church, to be outside of our core team. And so far we're meeting that goal which is by God's grace, uh, our team's being really invitational. This is really, really good. It's a big part of who we are. We want to be missional. And so part of that too is we've been doing some outreaches. We reached out to the Monroe Middle School, which is where we're going to launch out of right off the square. Amazing location. God answered that prayer. And, uh, and so we're going to be launching there. We've been connecting with the Monroe Middle School. We brought them a bunch of coffee and pastries about a month and a half ago. Um, we brought them a bunch of thank you cards and cards of encouragement as they've been going through all the things that have been happening in the last couple of years and uh, just crazy times and also dealing with middle school age teenagers and you guys who know middle school age teenagers on top of everything else going on in the world, that's a lot. All right, we need to encourage them, amen. And so on top of that too, we, uh, we just finished an outreach of bringing a bunch of gift basket with a bunch of uh, uh, goodies and, uh, and thank you keychains and chain, uh, keychains of encouragement, I should say, to all the first responders in Monroe and in Broadhead, Wisconsin. So we're, we're really wanting to get the word out, let people know that this is what we're about. We're about making disciples. We're about bringing the gospel to those who do not know Christ and those who do know Christ, helping getting them in the harvest field and uh, so that we can, we can just see the harvest come in, but also about reaching out to our community because we love them, because Christ loves them. 
Amen. So, so excited uh, to bring even more good news as we start to hit some benchmarks and move forward. If you don't see me and my family in the next uh, few months uh, on a Sunday, it's usually probably because I'm traveling or we're traveling uh, to connect with a church or with an association somewhere that they're coming alongside of us to pray with us along with you guys. And and so we're just really excited as God's getting things put together here uh, with Redemption Church and very, very humble to be have you guys be our sending church. So continue to pray for us. If any, if you know anyone in Monroe area that does not have a church home, or or maybe they're they're kind of feeling this this pull to do something a little bit above what they've been doing right now, uh, point them in my direction. Go, I know this guy named Blake. You know, you need to you need to check out Redemption Church. Point them in our direction. We would love to connect with them, and uh, and love to be able to uh, get them a part of our church family. Okay. So I could talk all day about Redemption Church in Monroe, Wisconsin. You, I'm sorry, but I could do that. So I'm going to stop, and we're going to get into the text today. So we are in Acts chapter 12. Have you guys know we've been going through the book of Acts uh, here at City on a Hill? It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book. This, I tell you, if this is one of those books that every church, every Christian should just go verse by verse through, at least at some point in their life, because it's humbling and it's powerful. It shows you the very beginnings of this New Testament church, this, this church of Jesus Christ that we're a part of 2,000 years later, and, and how, the, how tough it was, how amazing it was, and how much faith it takes to follow Jesus Christ in this world. So before we jump into Acts chapter 12, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the text. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word this morning. We just pray that, uh, Lord, that your spirit would just illuminate your scripture for us. Lord, let us take this, this living testimony of what you have done, your faithfulness for the church of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago, and let us see it, understand it, and apply it to our lives today. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living, it's powerful, it's a two-edged sword that separates the bone from the marrow in our lives, Lord. Let us be open to receiving what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I love about Acts chapter 12, all right? So the book of Acts to this point has been mostly centrally located and, and around Jerusalem or so. We, I know last week, uh, uh, Pastor Dave talked about Antioch and, and you know, so we're, the, the church is starting to spread a little bit. And as you get into uh, chapter 13, that's the beginning of what we would call the first missionary journey. That's when we start to look at Paul and Barnabas, and they're going into the highways and the byways, right? They're, they're doing the, the Great Commission. They're going everywhere now. And, but right now, we're, we're, we're coming back. Chapter 12 is kind of like it brings you right back centrally back to the Jerusalem area. And what I like about chapter 12 as well is it reminds us who's the main hero of not just the book of Acts, and, but of the Bible, of our lives, and that's God. Because sometimes when you open up a book of a Bible, there's, there's these, these main heroes, these, these people that you see, their testimony, just their faithfulness to God's calling. And we, and we talk about them over and over and over. And we, we look at them. We look at the Pauls. We look at the Peters. We, and, and we focus on Barnabas. And we focus on these guys and their faithfulness. And it's really good to sometimes kind of take a step back and remember, what, what are they be, who are they being faithful to? And why are they being faithful to them? And how powerful and amazing and worthy our God is of glory. How awesome he is and how he works supernaturally 
through our lives and through the church of Jesus Christ. That there's sometimes where we see something so big that it's way above our pay grade and there's nothing we can do about it except wait upon the faithfulness of our God. And that's where we, what we see in Acts chapter 12. Acts 12, chapter 12 is way above the church's pay grade. They're dealing with some stuff that they can't, they can't on their own be able to figure out. And so they lean upon our powerful God. And we see our God's faithfulness and his, his power at work. So let's go ahead. Let's start uh, in cha- chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Let me just, we'll go ahead and start there. Uh, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king had laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So this is what's going on at the beginning we see here in chapter 12. We see this guy named Herod. He's the king. He's Herod Agrippa, all right? So he's the great-grandson of Herod the Great is what they called him. Herod the Great was this horrible tyrant that, that actually started a genocide during the time of, of Jesus. Actually, when Jesus was born, he was so afraid. You might know this story. It's part of, the, part of that nativity story where the, the wise men are heading to go find the king of the Jews, right? And they show up at Herod's doorstep and they go, hey, you would know where the king of the Jews should be because you are technically the king of the Jews. And Herod goes, well, hey, when you find this king of the Jews, let me know so I can go worship him. Well, and Herod's whole, whole thing was he wanted to kill whoever was this king of the Jews, because Herod Herod the Great was a tyrant. He didn't want another king. He was already the king. Well, like grandfather is like grandson. So Herod is trying to gain more uh, political chips and power from the Jewish people. So what does he do? He goes, "Who, who do the Jewish people in Jerusalem hate? They hate the church. So he goes, let's go and let's take out the leaders of the church. And this swift, political, tyrannical move, the first thing he does is kill James, the brother of John. If you don't know who James, the brother of John is, James, the brother of John, is one of the three of the kind of the core of, of the disciples, of the 12. These three were with Jesus when he, had the, uh, when he was transfixed and they saw Jesus in all of his glory and he said, don't tell anybody until the resurrection, all that stuff. Like James was in that inner circle, James, John, and Peter. So Herod kills James. He's he's gone. He's in heaven now. The church sees that. And not only is James now gone, but now Peter, who's a second person out of the three, he's arrested. He's put into this jail cell. And not only is he arrested and put into prison, not only will he be delivered over to the people during, after Passover to be mocked and to be ridiculed and to eventually die just like Jesus did, not only is that happening, but Herod is so paranoid, he so wants to make sure this happens that he gets four squads of soldiers. Now, Peter was probably, you know, they think being a fisherman, he's probably a burly guy, you know, we, we don't know for sure, but probably a burly guy. But my goodness, how, how he must be one bad dude. 
He must have like knew every form of Kung Fu imaginable or been like the most dangerous man on the planet for them to get four squads of soldiers to watch him. But really it was Herod trying to make sure nothing's gonna happen, right? We're gonna make sure this Peter guy, he gets it at the time that where he's supposed to get it. And this is what's happening. This is, this is the, a snapshot of this horrible persecution and troubling times that the church is going through, that two of their core leaders, one is dead and one will be dead. And what we see here is the first point of Acts chapter 12. And this is, we see it in verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So number one, the praying church during times of trouble. And I'm, I'm and sorry, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but uh, the title to this message is Our Powerful God and His Praying Church. Our Powerful God and His Praying Church. And the first one is the praying church during times of trouble. So here's the church. Two of their core leaders, one's in prison, gonna die, one's already dead. Herod the king is laying violent hands on some who belong to the church. That means there's other people in the church that have died already or, or imprisoned or, or what have you. So this is going on. And we see what their reaction is, right? The reaction to this is earnest prayer on behalf of Peter to God. They come together and they pray. So to paint this picture a little bit more for us, it's very different than what we would probably try to do even today. If we were facing persecution, you know, we might go to Facebook, we might go to Twitter, we might go to Instagram, we might go to our state senator or our, our U.S. senator, we might complain, we might send petition out, we might go to the whole world and ask for people to pray and to help and to, and to seek support. We might be able to do those things because we have that kind of platform. The Church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago did not have that platform. The leader of their area wanted them dead for political gain. The only thing they had was to pray. And they understood that. And so what did they do? They prayed. They hid, they came together in a house and in quiet desperation, they prayed. Now I said something wrong there because for me to say that was all they had actually shows us exactly what we should do in all circumstances, especially during troubling times. The first thing we need to do, first and foremost, is pray. Is understand that this, was, this is way above our pay grade. And even if it's not above our pay grade, to do it in a way that honors God is probably above our pay grade, right? If you're dealing with a relationship that you're like, you know, I know how to probably take care of this. I can nip this in the bud real quick. You know, I'm gonna do this this way, that kind of stuff. You probably should go to prayer because the best way to do it would be rooted in love, mercy, and grace in Jesus Christ to seek wisdom and insight on that conversation, that crucial conversation to be had. What's the next step to, to take in life? What's the next step to take in, 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 in your job? What's the next step to take in your marriage? What's the next step to take? God knows. He's sovereign and in control. He's all powerful. He has everything in the palm of his hand. You cannot do anything that surprises God. God has seen it all. He's, he's got it. And he knows what's best for you and he wants what's best for you and he knows what's best for the churches that are facing persecution right here and they seek him earnestly in prayer. And they're seeking him earnestly and they're laying everything on the table. They're like, here we go. Like, in all earnestness, 
we need you to help because some of our people are dying. Some of our people are in prison. In fact, uh, James is dead and Peter's in prison. So Lord, help. One of the most powerful prayers we can pray as the body of Jesus Christ is Lord, help. Help. I don't know what's next. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take care of this. I can't not do this on my own and I should not do this on my own. Lord, help. The praying church of Jesus Christ did that during times of trouble. That became their habit. When trouble came, they prayed. When good times came, they rejoiced. And sometimes when we face trouble, we try to figure out what can I do on my own to make this thing happen? And what we should take from this is that the people of Jesus Christ, the, the church in Acts, understood that this was something they could not, they could not do on their own. If they tried, they would fail. And even though we may have the pride of, of our technology and of our rights to do something under our own power, and we, it's not saying we shouldn't, but we should, should first pray and seek his guidance. That's what the praying church did in times of trouble. So let's see what happens. What happens when the church in earnest prayer is made to God uh, for Peter here in prison. Let's go to verse six. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between, between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that he was being, what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When he had passed the first and second guard, they, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and, and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were, and, and all that the Jewish people were expecting. So number two, our powerful God overcomes all odds. Our powerful God overcomes all, all odds. So I love how this starts. Sorry. Now when Herod was about to bring him out. Now this means, it's like the day of. You know, if you think of the old, old West, like I love Westerns, I love the old West, you know, and the, the gallows have been built, Right? Like the hangman's got his, his you know, he, he's getting everything ready. He's got his hood. Like he's, he's like, he's getting everything in order, right? The judge has already signed the paperwork. Like Peter's going to die today or he's going to be put out before the people and something's going to happen to him that's horrible. This is the day. And here's Peter. He's asleep between two big guards, I don't know if they're big, but I'm guessing they're big, right? They're guards. So he's asleep between them. And he's got sentries outside. And that's one of the squads of four. And then there's three other squads of four that are also there to protect and make sure nothing happens as well. And he's asleep. And, and, and this is the day. Like, and, and you could just imagine what Peter's probably thinking, like preparing himself to do and go before what his Lord had to go through. And he gets awoken by an angel. And I love this scene because it's not like Peter hopping up and going, I've been expecting you. 
Like, you know, I, I, have, I have such great faith that I just knew that the Lord would send his angel to take care of me in this situation. So I've been sleeping, just chilling, expecting this to happen. Like, it's not so much that. It's like the, the angel almost like shakes him awake like a, like a teenager in the morning. You know, like, get up. Come on, man. Like, get your sandals on. Like, put your, put your clothes on. What are you doing? You don't have your clothes? Like, put your clothes on. Like, what, like, like come on, man. It's time to go. We got to go. I love this scene because it's, 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 it's Peter, like, just like, and he's just like, like, I just imagine him, like, my son, when he gets up to go, to go to school, he's five years old, he's in preschool, right? And he already acts like a teenager. It's hilarious. When he gets up and he's shuffling in our living room and he's like, like, I imagine that it was Peter. He was just like, oh man, like, this is the weirdest dream. And the angel goes, follow me, come with me, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so, wrap your cloak around you and and follow me. And he goes and he went out and he followed him and did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He didn't know. He thought, I'm dreaming, I'm seeing a vision. Then they passed through the first and the second guard. Then they came to the big iron gates of Jerusalem that would take men, like multiple men to open these gates. It's a big deal. Like, they're on lockdown. They're, they're secure for the night. And here comes, here comes Peter, like half asleep, and the doors just fling open, and he keeps shuffling in. And the next thing you know, like, so he's there, and, he, and the angel takes him to the street, and then poof, angel's gone, and he's awake. All of a sudden, like, nat, like, whole, like supernatural caffeine hits him. Like he realizes, he wakes up. He's like, oh my goodness, so this was real. I, God has delivered me. This is crazy. So here you've got this church in de- quiet desperation, praying for Peter. They just saw James die. Some of their brothers and sisters die. They're praying. Herod's sitting there going like, this is gonna be a great day. I've signed the paperwork. The gallows are made. We're gonna, like, we're gonna take out this Peter guy. The Jewish people are gonna be happy. This is great. It's gonna be a great day. I got all these guards down there. They're big, smelly, and hairy. So they, nothing's gonna happen. And then God shows up. And then against all odds in that world, at that time, he shows up and he wrecks everything. He shows up against the opposition that the church was facing and he conquers it with an angel. He sends his angel and goes, go get Peter, get him out of that jail cell, wake him up. And, I'm gonna, and, and I can just imagine maybe that briefing in heaven was like, hey, angel, so I'm gonna send you down to get Peter. He's gonna be dead asleep. He's, he's gonna like, just like not know what was going on. You're gonna have to like get him going, right? You're gonna have to like wake him up and go like, let's go. And it, you know, I can just imagine, it's such a like crazy thing. The story isn't so much like the angel shows up and boom, everyone goes flying and Peter just like whew, is sucked out of the room and next thing you know, he's, he's free, he's good. And it's like, oh, wow, yeah. Or it wasn't like this super expected thing. It was totally out of the blue. God showing up, wrecking the plans of this tyrant, saving Peter and answering the prayers of his church. It's an amazing thing. Our God is powerful. When we think something's above his pay grade, 
we are not just wrong, we are heretically wrong, biblically wrong. I love how our Bible starts, by the way. If you've ever, you know, you might have, you know, it's probably been a long time. So if you got a Bible, you want to turn to Genesis chapter one, this is a little bit off, off the cuff, but I would just want to read verse one to you real quick in case you, you've forgotten this, all right? This is the ESV, by the way. And if you don't have your Bible with you, there's one underneath the chair. If, if you're at home, you can use the Bible app or whatever you're using. If you don't have, have one, open up to Genesis chapter one, verse one. Some of you guys are like, I know this one. Oh, let's just bear with me. We might've forgotten it. It's good to remind yourself. Verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, take that in. In the beginning, God, was it Herod? No, not Herod. God created the heavens and the earth. Was it some other leader or great man or woman? No. God created the heavens and the earth. And verse two gives us a little bit of idea. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Before there was, when there was nothing, there's God. And God spoke, and everything came into creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God did that. So let's come back to Acts chapter 12. Can a jail cell stop God? No. Can four squads of hairy, nasty guards. I'm making them nastier the more I talk about them. Like these guys were like scars and everything. Can they stop God? No. Can Herod, King Herod and all of his, all of his pomp, can he do that? No. Who can stop God? Nobody. Why? He created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. Anything in heaven and anything on earth that thinks they have the power to overcome our God is not just wrong. They are dead wrong. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that at the end of this chapter. We see what happens when a man decides that he's going to put himself in a place of God. What God will do about that. So in our life, when we see something that's so bonkers, that's so just crazy, and we're like, God, I don't know what to do. This is nothing I planned on. This is something that's way above my pay grade. This is something I can't see the light at the end of this tunnel, and I don't know what to do. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to stay in this jail cell with these two nasty, hairy, seven-foot guards, and they're going to like knock, you know, knock me if I move and all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to stay here, and I'm just going to be in prison by this and I'm just going to die. I'm just going to let it happen. When we get to that place, we need to realize that our powerful God can overcome all odds. In fact, he has overcome all odds. And in fact, through Jesus Christ, we have become overcomer, overcomers and conquerors as well. So in all things, we can come to him with prayer and, 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 and supplication with thanksgiving and know that the peace of God who transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We understand that that is the privilege that we have been given through Jesus Christ. That no matter if we're in a prison in Jerusalem or dealing with heartache in Madison, Wisconsin or brokenness in Monroe, Wisconsin, no matter if you're dealing with addiction, no matter, if, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what's ahead of you, no matter what you see, nothing 
is bigger, tougher, and can overcome our God. So this is, this brings us to number three. Number three is the praying church that doesn't stop. The praying church that doesn't stop. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. That's the Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark, by the way. There were many, and where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. So they kept saying, and and they kept saying, it is his angel. It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Now this is, this is, just another crazy part of this story. So here's Peter knocking on the door of, of John Mark's uh, mom's house, Mary, just knocking on Mary's door, sitting there knocking. They had this like, if you think of it this way, there's the house and they had this outer kind of, uh, if you've ever been in the uh, you know, um, countries, maybe in, in Africa or the Middle East and that area, they have like a kind of like, it's almost like a compound. Like they have this, this fence around with a big door and then they have the house, right? It's kind of like a, a defense system. So here's, Peter, he's knocking on the gate. He's sitting there knocking. Here comes Rhoda, who's a servant girl. Rhoda means girl. All right, literally, that's what Rhoda means in the Greek girl. And so here's this young servant girl. She goes to the door. She recognizes it's Peter. She's so excited. She runs back and tells the church who has been praying. They have not stopped praying. They're still praying. And he go, they go back and then he goes, and Rhoda goes, you won't believe this, guys. Peter, we've been praying for him for like ever. He's outside, he's at the gate. And I love this part because it's not like the church was like, totally expected that. Like we knew that God was gonna answer this prayer. We knew that Peter was gonna be let out of prison. We just knew it, we got it, God's good. Let's start rejoicing, let's let Peter in, it's all good. No, they look at Rhoda and they go, you're crazy. You are crazy, Rhoda. You have lost your mind. It's probably his angel. If it's anything, it's his angel. You're seeing things, right? Not only are you crazy, you're seeing things. I don't think we should gloss over that, by the way. Now, it's amazing. First, first thing's amazing here. Here's our powerful God who just worked in an amazing way. He sent his angel. His angel got Peter out, put him at Mary's house. He's knocking at the door. It's an amazing thing. And here's the church, they, they were doing exactly what they should be doing. They're praying, they didn't stop, they kept going. The church is praying. They're seeking God earnestly in prayer. Now we don't know exactly what they're praying for. We just know they're praying for Peter. They could have been praying like, Lord, help Peter because we know he's gonna die. Like help us because we don't know what's gonna happen next. It could have been those kind of prayers too. It could have been like, Lord, just release Peter. We don't know. And you know, it's kind of funny because Luke throughout the book of Acts is usually pretty specific when he talks about the prayers of, of the church of Jesus Christ. He's like, yeah, usually they're praying in this direction. They're praying specifically for this. In this case, it's just say the church was praying. But they definitely weren't expecting Peter to show up at the gate. That was unexpected. 
to the point that here comes Rhoda, this poor girl. She's so excited. And they're like, you, got, you are just so crazy. What happened to Rhoda? We need to pray for Rhoda. There's something wrong with Rhoda. She's seeing things. She's hearing things. Like, let's, let's, let's pray for Rhoda. No, here's what. They just weren't, they weren't expecting this. Yet here he is. And he continues to knock on the door. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. Here's what I, I take solace in, guys. Because I, I don't know about you, but there's times where I get paralyzed to pray. I get paralyzed to pray. And the reason why I get paralyzed to pray is because I'm trying to figure out what do I pray for? I see the situation ahead. I know how I feel about it. I see the people around me and what to do. And I go, I get so nervous about, I gotta pray the right prayer the, with the right words and the right scripture and the right way. And you know, I read this book that told me if I pray this way that the Lord won't hear it and all this stuff. Like we, we bring all this baggage into our prayer life. And then prayer becomes a super thing that only super saints can do. There's like this super saint superpower that like our grandmas have, but we don't, right? Or, or that lady in the church has, but I don't. Or my, my spouse has, but I don't. You know, like, and we, we start to put prayer into this super holy pedestal that's beyond anything we can do with prayer. In this case, from the church of Jesus Christ was, we don't know what they're praying about. They just were praying. They were just seeking God. They were just being earnest about it. They were just hopeless and going, God, we need hope. We need you. We need you to work. We don't know what's going to happen next. Peter's probably going to die and we don't know what to do. Like he's our leader. Like he was right next to Jesus. He tells us stories about Jesus. What do we do now? And, and Lord, just save him. Please save him. We don't, but we don't know how that's going to happen. That's crazy. We can't like help. Like that's the prayer, these desperate prayers. I, I think back to King David, and King David, I, I believe it's Psalm 53, when he's caught in his sin with Bathsheba and he's coming before God and he's pouring his heart out in repentance before God. And he says this, he goes, sacrifice is not what you desire, but a broken and contrite heart is what you want. You know, that's the Blake Cambry paraphrase, by the way. But like, that's the idea. Here's this church that's broken before God just saying, we don't know what to do next. We don't know what's going to happen. We're scared. We're, we're, we, we feel like we're, we're stuck here in this house is praying and seeking you. And God in all their desperation shows up in a miraculous way that was beyond anything they can ever imagine. In fact, they thought it was crazy. This is what happens when the praying church doesn't stop. Our prayers don't have to be these super theologically advanced prayers. If they are, that's great. They just need to be straight from a broken heart, straight from a heart of need, straight from a heart of, of humility that understands that we are not God, that we don't have the power to make this move, to make this thing happen, that we don't have that. That's above our pay grade, but yet we serve the God that it is not above his pay grade. Prayer is the act of humility and allowing God to do something that he, according to his will, wants to do anyway. And when we come to understand more of what his will is, we will come to understand more how amazing he and faithful he is to see his will happen. When we pray desperate prayers, when we pray prayers of humility, when we pray from our heart, asking the God of all hope to bring hope into a hopeless situation. 
What God tends to do is reveal to us very exactly what his will is in that situation. And sometimes he does it in an amazing way. Like in this case, Peter showing up at the gate. That's one of the benefits of, the, of a praying church that doesn't stop. If you don't know what the next step is, God will show you. He's a good, good father. He gives good gifts to his children. He'll show you what his will for your life is through his word as you pray, as you seek him, as you come before him, he will reveal the next steps. At least the next steps for you to take. And this brings us to number four. Our powerful God has no equal. Our powerful God has no equal. It says this in verse 17 through 25. But motioning to them, with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now, when the day came, when there was, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become, to, become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then he went down from Jerusalem to Caesarea and spent some time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and said, and, and, and let me just, before we get into Herod, because, you know, Herod's, he's going to get his comeuppance, all right? He's going to get his in just a second. I just want to come to Peter real quick. We'll, we'll, we'll finish this in a second. But so here's Peter. He tells the church to be silent. And then it's because he wants to tell them what the Lord has done. He wants to give testimony to what the Lord has done. It's not like Peter said, listen, you guys know I'm the most dangerous man on the planet. These guys had me in chains and I just whoo, took care of business, right? Like Steven Seagal in the 80s, took care of business, right? And all the 80s kids just laughed, right? That was great. Um, but no, he didn't do that. He, he shows up and he goes, I gotta tell you how great God is. I gotta show you. I gotta, I gotta give you testimony how, how he brought me out of prison. And I want you not just to keep this to yourselves, guys. I want you to tell James. Now, James here is James, the brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James in the New Testament. That's the James he's talking about here. And he goes, tell James, tell the brothers, tell everybody, let everyone know that, man, God works. You can't stop him. He has no equal. He defeated all this, all these guys. And in fact, then we get to the second half of the story. Now we get, we see Herod. So here's the church. They, they, just, they just have this amazing testimony. Now they're going to spread the word of what's happening. And here's Herod. He had the orders signed. He's ready to go. The gallows are made. And, and he goes and there's no Peter. And all, this, all the guards are like, we don't know what happened. The doors are open. The gates open. Everything's open. We don't know what happened here. And he's like, Herod is just, just incensed. He's like, something happened. And he, and he examines them and he orders the sentries to die, which was something that was very commonplace in that time. If you were a guard to someone who was supposed to die, you would take on the punishment if you let them out. If they got free, you took on their punishment. So for him to put them to death is actually pretty commonplace, but also it's still the work of a tyrant. It's still a work of somebody who was trying to do something for his own political gain and could not receive it. Trying to do something under his own power by his own authority and could not see it happen. Was trying to be God at God's game, but he could not because no one can beat our God, that he has no equal. And then, so now he knows all of his political might is gone in Jerusalem because the Jewish people are mad at him because they wanted Peter. 
They, they had their signs out. They were ready to go, right? They were like frothing at the mouth. We're going to take Peter. We're going to get Peter now. Well, now he's, he's not there. So he goes to Caesarea. He spends some time there. He lays low. And now if we were to like, if this was like a movie or a show, it would go, the screen would go black. And on the bottom, it would say sometime later, like a year or so later. All right. And then we get to verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him and with one accord and having pers- uh, persuaded Blastus, the king's uh, chamberlain, chamberlain, sorry, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So here's what's happening. These people in Tyre Sinian are, are starving because Herod is a tyrant and he doesn't like them. He's, he's angry with them. So he's holding back their food. So they show up to, to, to ask for peace, to try to make a way with this tyrant. And on an appointed day in verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an or, or, um, oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, this is great, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So here's Herod, he's starving this nation. They come to him for peace. He puts on all of his garb, his roll of robes. He gives this, this great auditory to them. He does all of his stuff and pomp and circumstance. He does all of that. And the people who are starving, who know this guy holds their, the bread for them to eat, are crying out, he's, he's speaking like God. He's got the voice of God, not of man. And, and this is what's amazing here because it's not exactly in the text, but we can understand this because of what happens. But here's King Herod. Herod knew better. He was the king over the Jewish people over Judea. And in fact, Herod comes from not a Jewish line, but Herod's line is, is that he's an Edomite, which means he was from the line of Esau. If you guys remember Genesis, you had Jacob and you had Esau. Esau was the older brother. He sold his birthright to Jacob for lentil soup. He was hairy. He liked to, liked to hunt. That's why they called him Esau. He was hairy, big, red, and hairy. How would you like that as a name? Big, red, and hairy. So, um, so anyway, Herod comes from that line. But even then, he, knew, he knows who God is. He knows how powerful he is. He just, a year ago, saw Peter just get snatched up from, you know, to, to leave, a, leave a, a prison and not have him understand, you know, like not know what happened. Like he understands how great God is, but he hears these people and they say, you have a voice of a God and not a man. And you get to see him in his robe, probably sucking that in, just going, yeah, that's right. And all of his pride. And then immediately in that moment, our powerful God who has no equal sees this tyrant who's going against his church, going to, like leading, leading his, the, the, the Israelites and doing all this stuff. And he's standing there acting like he's got, you know, taking in the praise of these people who he is starving. And he goes, you know what? Enough with this guy. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And this is what's interesting about this text. It's not so much that he struck them down just because he did not, because he, he was a tyrant or he was coming against the church of Jesus Christ. 
we all know through history that tyrants come and go and they, they live and they die and they come against the church and they, they do all sorts of things. It wasn't the persecution that made God come against Herod. It was Herod's pride. It was him saying that I am God. It's him taking in that glory that belonged to God. And because of that, he met his end. And he didn't just meet his end. He met his end in a swift and horrid way. Immediately struck down, eaten by worms, and breathed his last. He's done. Our God has no equal. There's many people we will meet in our lives and many tyrants we will see in our world that think they're God. They are not. There'll be many people who claim they are God. They are not. There'll be many people who think they are God. They are not. You may even have times in your own, under your own power with your pride at the very front end and you think, yeah, I deserve this. I deserve this glory. But you're not God. Our God makes things really clear here. He has no equal. And we see verse 24 even puts the exclamation point on this. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod dies, but the word of God increases and multiplies. In our lives, as the, as the people of God, we need to understand first and foremost that we are not God, but the creator of all things is on our side. He's with us because of Christ. He's called us to a great purpose. That purpose is to go out and to make disciples. That purpose is to pray and to come and to seek him and to worship him with all that we have. That purpose is to help people to come know him so that they can give him glory because he deserves it. Why? He created all things. He created the heavens and the earth. He sent his son to die for us. He's, he, his son left his heavenly throne to become a man, to take on the punishment of our sins so that we can have the opportunity to have a right relationship with God. Not because we are great or, or we did anything to deserve it, but because of his grace. Our God is merciful, amazing, loving. He cares for us. He wants us to pray to him because he wants to come in and be our powerful God in all circumstances. He wants to bring peace when we're not peaceful. He wants to be our defender when we feel defenseless. He wants this in our lives. And we should not worry about the Herods of this world or the Herods of our lives. We should pray for them to come to know Christ and, and to have that humility and to have that relationship. We should pray for that because the end that they will meet will be like the end of Herod. In fact, it'll be worse. Because I'm pretty sure Herod at the end of this one, I don't know what his eternal destiny is, but I'm pretty sure it was not with Christ. That's a far worse outcome than being struck down and eaten by worms. So as we end our time in Acts chapter 12, I want us, I want you, all of us, whether you're, you're with us online or here, here and in, in, in the flesh. I want all of us to remind ourselves that we're not God, but he's with us. And in all circumstances, we can pray and know that he listens and he moves. If you're in here today and you haven't given your life to Christ, you haven't made a decision to follow 
Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want, I want to pray with you to make that decision. If you're in here today and you have made that decision, you're following Christ, but there's something in your life that you haven't given over in that desperate prayer to him, I pray that you would. And maybe you're in here and you don't have anything desperate to pray about. But I just want to pray for you. That in those moments when you do, that you will come before him in all humility and know that he's there and he's for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the testimony of your word, for the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. We thank you, Lord, that through their, um, through their testimony, through your actions in their lives, Lord, that that just gives us faith to know that you work in our lives, both now and for all of eternity. That gives us hope when we feel hopeless, Lord. And for some of us, Lord, we've, we've felt hope, hopeless our whole lives. We've never really given ourselves over to you. We've never really followed you and, and asked for forgiveness for our sins and to come boldly before you in, in, all, in all humility and, and hand over all of our brokenness and our, our, all of our stuff and receive your grace through Jesus Christ. So Father, we confess and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of you, the living God. And we thank you for that. We thank you that through him, and through our confession of faith in him as your son and the resurrection from the dead, Lord, that we are resurrected into new life to walk with you, to talk with you, to know you, to know that you are with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. To have hope in all circumstances, to know that we can have hope in all circumstances through praying and connecting and seeking you. We hand over our lives, Lord, and for some of us, we're handing over circumstances right now that are way above our pay grade, that are way above what we can know and do and how we can act. And so, Father, we just ask you to help us. Give us grace in the circumstances to continually lean on you. We thank you, Father, for that. For some of us, Lord, we're handed over circumstances that we could do under our own power, but we should not. That we should seek your face on it. We should hear from your word. We should allow you to move in our hearts and in these circumstances. So do so, Lord. Help us to continually pray and seek you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.